What is up, Brad fans? How you doing? How you living? Today you get just me and some of my thoughts about topics that have come up over the last couple episodes. So I'm thinking specifically of the episode we did with uh, Calvin Smith, the atheist activist, and the last one, most recent one, that we did with um, science communicators and scientists Christina Fonseca and Jonathan Pettit. And both focused heavily on communication, science communication, but it got me thinking a lot about, I don't want to be so negative, but the futility almost that it feels sometimes with um, science communication. We spoke with, I spoke with Calvin about the, you know, what do you do with, with platforms like Joe Rogan? Um, Calvin himself was all about, you know, engaging with people. Like I'm going to just, no matter what your beliefs are, I'm going to have you on. I'm going to talk to you. Um, and then maybe in that through that conversation, we either change minds or we change the the audience's mind. But when it comes to a massively popular show uh, like the Joe Rogan podcast, um, if there's no credible bounds on you know what is fact, what is not, what is a good source, what is not a good source, then this idea of just allowing people to speak. Well, what does it serve is my question, because then you, you anyone can just say anything and it's given an air of credibility uh, because of their title or because they're on the show or even the reactions of the host um, can greatly influence how people are absorbing this information. So without like a sort of agreed upon guideline of, well, this is a valid source, this is not a valid source, this information is true or not true, you know, without even that, that basic, uh, uh, your baseline, what, what are you left with? Just everybody saying everything all at once and, and, and no, no discernibility between what is good advice and what is bad advice. And normally, you know, in the, in the so-called marketplace of ideas, I would say, whatever, you know, people are free to believe whatever they want to believe. And I really don't believe in censorship or, you know, policing of these things. But increasingly, and this was a point that Jonathan Pettit and Christina Fonseca made, was that as citizens, we should be informed and know about these science topics because they are influencing our lives. Look at the pandemic as an extreme example, because what information you got very well could have affected your long-term health and or mortality status, your, whether you were dead or alive. Um, so it's not benign. You know, it's not just, well, I can believe that the world is flat, you know. Um, so there is some stakes at play here. And that gets me a little troubled, you know. How do you combat a megaphone like the Joe Rogan podcast when, you know, seemingly that host's mind is made up as to what happened and who's right and who's wrong and then chooses only to show that side. And then I know there was the whole controversy about, well, you know, when, when a popular vaccine scientist 
who had been on Joe's show before, um, you know, criticized him. He was like, well, come debate, come debate me, come, come debate uh, RFK. But again, without like a proper structure or uh, some sort of uh, 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 guidelines as to like, well, what is... What is real? What is not real? What is a credible source? Was it, and without a proper um, moderation of that discussion, it's I, I don't see the value in it. Uh, and and that's a, that's a disagreement that a lot of people in this space have. Look at a guy like Mike, Michael Shermer from Skeptic Magazine who says, "No, that's your job as a public intellectual is to go out there and engage in these things." And I and to be honest, I see that side of it too. So this is just one, you know, example of the sort of struggle that I've been having lately in my own mind about this job of science communication and so, and the and the the responsibility on all of us to be as informed as possible in terms of being participants in society. We want the benefits of society, but we don't want the responsibility, it seems, in many ways. And so if we agree that people need to be informed, should be informed, then we need to agree on how to get that information. And we need to agree on the bounds of debate. Like I said, what are credible sources? What are not credible sources? And this isn't to say that I'm coming at this as a place of just believe all scientists, you know, because I, I don't think that's the right way. Um, you could make the argument, I think, quite convincingly that in a way... The scientific establishment, the academic establishment doesn't provide an environment for dissenters, a good enough environment for dissenters. There's a lot of uh, incentives to sort of toe the line, um, stick with the majority opinions. Uh, that's how you get funding. That's how you get promotion. That's how you get recognition. That's how you get citations on your work. All of these metrics that we use for success um, and advancement uh, are kind of incentivized to not really go out of on a limb. You know, obviously there still is these big breakthroughs, the so the so-called paradigm shifts. But overall, you could make the argument that the system doesn't really uh, promote that. So so I really feel stuck in this zone where I'm not really sure how to move forward other than to continue to try and do the things that I do, which is, you know, this podcast and, and, you know, writing article, you know, my job, what I get paid for. Um, but I thought it might be interesting to kind of look back at some of the things that I noticed, uh, from the pandemic, because this is really sort of a clarifying lens, uh, that we can see a lot of the problems that have arisen, uh, in terms of public discourse, uh, of course, I focus on science communication, but there's, you know, this, these, are, these are some things that are kind of happening uh, outside of science and in just discourse in general. And yeah, maybe it's social media, maybe it's just the times we're in. Uh, I don't really know. And so in this episode, I am going to outright say I don't have any answers. I don't really know what to do, but my hope is that in talking about it and highlighting some of the things that I've been thinking about, struggling with, um, being honest with myself about how I operated during the pandemic, what are the things that I tried to put out there that maybe 
by the end of this rambling, I will have some sort of path forward. And maybe it will be helpful to somebody in the audience as well, or at the very least entertaining to hear me struggle with, you know, my own, <laughs> admittedly, what I do as a career. And, uh, and then I'm here uh, trying to struggle my way through it. So that's going to be the game plan. So it might be a little all over the place. I've tried to collect some notes and thoughts uh, down, but I'm just going to try and speak from the heart. So with that intro, as always, let me just say thank you so much for being here. And please uh, rate, subscribe, review wherever you get podcasts. Uh, check out our Instagram at 2 brad for you That's where we're most active on social media. Via the link in the bio on the Instagram page, you can find everything about us, where to follow, subscribe, review uh, the website. Uh, if you wanted to throw a couple bucks this way, it's all available uh, through there. You can also check out the website, 2bradforyou.wordpress.com. Um, and we are on Twitter as well, at 2 brad for you but that is less active. Um, but in general, just wherever you get podcasts, give us a rating, give us a follow. That helps out immensely. And, you know, tell your friends. All right, let's get into it. Some thoughts on science communication, the perilous path forward uh, post-pandemic. So when thinking about the pandemic and science communication and some of the things that it highlighted, I've been trying to take a retrospective view on a lot of this because, you know, as new information comes out, especially when it comes to the lab leak stuff, I really noticed that there's a, like a shifting of the narrative and it's not even the narrative, but it's like a collective memory and everybody is kind of remembering things different, misremembering the the significance that certain that we put on certain things or the confidence that was put on certain things, uh, misremembering our own confidence, our own fears uh, that we experienced during this time and then portraying them different. So there's this sort of general rewriting of history that I think we're all doing. Um, definitely, you know, as People have claimed, well, now there's more evidence for the lab leak, which, again, I, I don't see it. <laughs> I don't I don't want to get into that whole thing, but I don't see it. But I bring up this example specifically because, let's just say, each time the, the question gets brought up again in the news and a new publication that maybe didn't talk about it before starts to consider something else, some other source, the declassification of documents, which, again hasn't really shown anything in my opinion. But anyway, I think there's a tendency for people to be like, well, I always knew all along. I was, I was in on it from day one. I knew I didn't trust the sources. And so there's this wanting to show that you were a bit more uh, anti-conformist, you know, now that the, now that the idea is, is getting a bit more uh, credibility, let's say. And I think it's the same with with masks or something. Well, I always knew that they were lying about this or that they didn't work or that we should have used them all along. You pick a pick an issue as as the as the coverage of it has changed. 
post-pandemic, people start to reshape what they actually did, how they actually behaved. I think in some cases we too are, are reshaping, well, I acted better than I actually did. I, I followed all the rules. I was perfect through the whole thing. Or the other way around. I always knew that we were being lied to and, and, and I, you know, made a stand sort of thing in my own little way. Uh, and these can be small rewritings or big rewritings, but I think that we're all, like I said, I think we're all kind of doing this. And then I have to think that this is a problem because perhaps we're not going to learn the lessons that we should have learned if we're changing, you know, our memories to suit what we now feel or what is now in vogue or something like that. But it can also feed into conspiracies about uh, whether we were being lied to, blah, 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 all this, you know, these new feelings can start to harden those opinions. And I think that that may be bad, where we start to think that there was more nefariousness to uh, the actions of authority, when in reality, it was probably more um, mistakes and just the nature of a chaotic and ever-changing situation. So this rewriting is, I think it's a problem and I think we should all try and be as honest as possible with ourselves so that we can learn the lessons that we need to learn. And so again, I think it would be good for all of us to be honest with ourselves and to go through this uh, and try to look at where things changed, uh, how, how we changed our opinions, when we changed our opinions, based on what sources and that was sort of the other thing that I noticed was a lot of these things, a lot of these feelings that we're having about the pandemic really depend on the sources that you were listening to. And so I'll have some, some comments on, on sources and how to sort of wade through that morass uh, without hopefully sounding condescending, because I think... This is where I want to start with my retrospective is how did it get so screwed up to begin with? How did it get so politically charged right from the get-go? And condescension, I think, is part of that. But the biggest part, and maybe it, it, we all sort of just assume it, and so it doesn't get sort of put forward enough, is that we had the biggest... Uh, most unreliable, dishonest, disingenuous uh, <laughs> source from the get-go undermining everything. And that is, of course, Donald Trump. Normally, in a situation of crisis, we look to leaders to be leaders, to be sources of information that we can trust and that we can act on. And Donald Trump has been, uh, since the Obama days, since he was one of the first people to really push the birther movement, he's been swimming in conspiracy and misinformation and just outright lies for a, an incredibly long time. And it, it, it benefits him to do that. So it benefited him to immediately question everything, including his own agencies, his own response, and it also benefited him to undermine the seriousness of this pandemic. 
if he did not deal with it adequately, it would be detrimental to him. So the choice was, I guess, made or just sort of that's just the guy he is and it just kind of fell into this was to undermine it, dismiss it, not talk about it or say that if you are, you're just being overly dramatic, everything is fine, right? And that was a big thing that set the tone. You know, the U.S., for better or for worse, is a global leader. Um, and when that was the tone coming out of, you know, what would normally be the sort of calm, rational um, voice in the room, it, it, it changed things. And because of his rabid base of supporters, it created a, a rift, you know, it created a movement that was visible and opposite of any sort of authority on the subject. And so I think that that's a really big moment when you have a, what is viewed to be a credible um, movement against authority in a, in, a, in a time of crisis that is actually undermining the seriousness and the need to act, that is key. That was a key moment. And because there's always going to be people that do that or that sell the snake oil, blah, blah, all the, you know, all of that. But it was, it seemingly, maybe there's another point in history where you could, where you could find this, but the first time that I'd ever seen really where it was such a movement that was united in a way. So yes, a lot of disparate movements from left, from right, from all over sort of united under this anti-COVID banner, but it was a united movement with the chief asshole as its, as its spokesperson. And so I don't think that, yeah, we can really forget what a big deal that was. Um, things would have been very different, I think, had there been a different leader. And on the flip side of this, I, I think we have to look at, and it's without a doubt that the scientific community, the authorities on the subject also failed. I think they were really caught off guard by the fact that there was such a strong opposition to their authority. And by authority, I mean, you know, expertise, you know, knowledge on the subject. I think we had a lot of scientists, you know, that were sort of like, hey, we've been talking about this for years and, and fine. And, you know, now we're, you know, we can give you some information. We can give you this. We can give you that. And then they were just shouted out of the room, you know, nerds, get out of here. Don't tell me what to do, blah, 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 all this. Right. So they were caught flat footed. But I also think they were unprepared for the moment um, for which they should have been prepared for. And I say should have been in terms of just my view that I think that scientists in general need to be better communicators. That should be considered part of the job. Um, but it's not really, and they, and they don't have training on it uh, for the most part. So I think uh, that's a big thing that, that could be changed. Uh, so I don't really fault them too much on not being the best communicators, but there's some things that you know, seemed basic uh, that that we that could have been more um, communicated. That could have been communicated better, and that's really the uncertainty, right? This uncertainty 
we all, as scientists, all know that there is uncertainty. And, and, and there's degrees of uncertainty in everything that we do, right? We can be very confident that the sun will rise tomorrow, right? Um, and even in the case of unknown new disease, you can be very confident in some recommendations such as social distancing, covering your mouth when you cough. So whether that's with a mask or your, or your arm, uh, washing your hands, you know, these things are basic and, and we all know them. And so I don't think it was wrong to sort of put those things forward. The whole mask thing I mean, it's been, we've, we've dissected it so many times. It was a mistake to go about the way that they did. Um, and just, you know, total shooting yourself in the foot, inexcusable, uh, and then, you know, exacerbated and amplified by the fact that, like, like I said, that we had this, this large oppositional group that no matter what you said, they were going to, they were going to try and undermine it, right? Um, and I think that, you know, beyond obvious mistakes like that, like flip-flopping on this mass thing and then coming out and making it, whether you were lying or not, being like, well, we were trying to save them for the, for the healthcare workers. It's like, you know, that's a very obvious, obvious failure, uh, on, on the establishment part, we'll say. Um, but there's this idea that I've talked about a lot on this podcast and it's models of communication and the knowledge deficit model. And I think that this is also a big flaw and could be viewed as a, maybe a general criticism of the, of the response from the science community when it came to COVID. And the knowledge deficit model really is just saying that if I'm trying to communicate to you and sort of bring you to my side, I have knowledge that you don't have. And this is generally true of experts, right? Scientists, they have knowledge that we don't have. Um, and they've earned it. They've, 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 it's not fake knowledge, you know, they've put the time in and, and they've earned the right, you know, the right to say that they have more knowledge than, than we do on, on given topics. But then the idea is that if I just, if a scientist or me, whatever, uh, just gives you that knowledge, you will see that, well, this is the knowledge that I didn't have and come over to, to someone else's side, come over to our side, because now you know all the, all the facts and it's very obvious then what you, what you should do. But that's not really how humans make decisions, is it? Um, look again, no further than, than Donald Trump. This is a guy who weaves stories about the world and, you know, what's going on in it. None of it is true, but it's a narrative that speaks to people. It speaks to their fears. It speaks to their anxieties. Um, this type of communication, this narrative storytelling doesn't have to always be negative either. Um, you know, there's great aspirational speakers that have used this sort of, of style to inspire, to um, you know, lead people in times of crises. And, and, and I would argue in general that this is sort of what's lacking um, in countries that are struggling to deal with a, a rise in populism is that they're not providing a viable story um, to counter 
what the other story is offering, right? Uh, and so this was something that I think um, just the default mode of communication often is in science is to just, well, I have this knowledge I've because you've worked so hard to get this knowledge. That's, that's like what you do all day is knowledge creation through experimentation and research and all this, right? Um, that you just then default to just, well, let me just tell you, because if I tell you, then, you know, you'll see it as I see it because I've done all the experiments. But yeah, it doesn't work that way. So would a more uh, humble tone have been taken regarding what we know and what we don't know. It was said, you know, that, that, well, we don't know everything and we're still learning, but this is what you need to do right now, right? And I just think that small tweaks maybe would have been enough in terms of trying to let people know that things are going to change. There is a lot of uncertainty, acknowledging people's fears, because I think there was a little bit of that too of, of trying to manage people's um, fears through managing the type of information that they were given or the way that the information was given. And I think that that comes across as coddling and condescending. And those are two things that people don't like (laughs) to be done to them, Uh, especially in a moment where there's a large anti-authority movement. So I think that Again, without trying to sound like I have all the answers, because I don't, I just think that an acknowledgement that we're adults and we're all going to need to deal with this thing. So let's deal with this together um, rather than just these platitudes of we're all in this together and um, trust the science uh, would have been a a little more constructive, productive. And it brings me to the whole trust the science thing, because I really, really dislike that. And if I'm being honest, at the beginning uh, of the pandemic, I, I, I felt like, yeah, that's, yeah, trust the science. And the, the scientists kind of became these heroes, or it was kind of portrayed as that with celebrities being like, well, I believe science. Uh, and it, it fed into this condescension. Um, And it also doesn't acknowledge, again, the uncertainty or the fallibility of science uh, and scientists. And and I think that that's a mistake. It comes across as arrogant. Um, And what does it even mean? I believe science. I follow the science. I trust the science. The science is uh, not a machine that just plucks out truth out of the air, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a way of thinking. It's a way of analyzing information. It's a way of producing knowledge. But what we do with that knowledge um, is debatable, is questionable. You can have a conversation based on that. So yeah, we can pull out facts um, from experimentation, from from research that says the SARS virus behaves in this way. This is how it attacks the body. This is how it is spread. But then what you do with that information ultimately is up to us. So this idea of just following the science doesn't jive. And I've since turned around on that. And that's one 
where I had to be honest on my uh, memory of the pandemic and say, yeah, I think I was wrong to sort of take that view and to kind of take a less empathetic, uh, compassionate view for people who were skeptical. I viewed skepticism of the authorities um, as, yeah, I'll, I'll be honest, yeah, as stupid, as uh, ignorant, uh, without considering um, the, the history or the, the feelings that some of these people may have been experiencing regarding authority in their countries. Um, after reading a book by, or let's be honest, listening to a book by Sarah Kenzior titled They Knew, great book, I do recommend it. I did gain a, a new perspective on some of the uh, pockets of, let's say, anti-authority or anti-vaccine um, feelings uh, in, in the United States. And in the book, she makes a point about large groups of people in the U.S. who have been sort of sold a bill, a bill of goods and lied to about their future prosperity and how the government works for them, uh, et cetera, et cetera, for such a long time that it became really unsurprising that they wouldn't trust uh, the government when it came to um, the, the pandemic uh, and specifically vaccines. Um, and, and then again, throw on top of that, you know, the, the, the whole wave created by, by Donald Trump. So that was a mistake I think that I personally um, fell into. And I again wonder how things would have been different if we didn't have this immediate us and them teamsmanship uh, that was set into motion by, by, I would say, Donald Trump and other factors. But, you know, he really probably pushed it over the edge. And then if the approach from science communication, if, our, if the general approach of academia and science communication was not so knowledge deficit model driven, if there was a bit more of a overall tone of we're, we're people just like you, this is what we know. This is what we can suggest to you. And as we find out more, we will let you know. And I thought, I think maybe even a, this is how we're going to find out more. These are the things that we're going to be looking for. We are going to be looking for transmission in certain locations, hospital settings, schools, etc. We are going to be looking to, at numbers that indicate us um, different scenarios. So what will it mean if, if this number goes up, the R not? And so people were trying to explain those things, but I feel like from the beginning, there was this, um, tone of this is what you do, mask, no masks, you don't need masks, and then you need masks. And, you know, again, that's a specific example of a specific failure, but I don't know, I guess I'm in, in all of this, I'm just saying a little more humility and less of this, if you don't believe me, you're dumb. Um, and that's, again, not to say that that's what everybody was doing, but it kind of started to begin to get portrayed that way. Again, because Donald Trump is such a uh, 
polarizing figure and he had already polarized everything um, up to that point. And then, and I know that they were not all American, but like that really became a view, a global view that we all sort of uh, had. And then, yeah, just this, this failure on the part of science and science communication to really uh, embrace something other than uh, a knowledge deficit model and to understand that their audience um, isn't really reacting based on a lack of knowledge. They actually have a lot of knowledge on pandemics. This was, again, another guest that I had during the pandemic, Sarah Bell, who spoke about her experience uh, as an anthropology student in West Africa during the Ebola outbreak on how messaging uh, was really poor and, again, condescending. And it didn't take into account the fact that people know about disease. People have a baseline understanding of infectious disease. We all get it on some level, you know, sneezing, coughing. Uh, we, we're taught these things from the very beginning. We as humans understand these sorts of things. And so that it, it's, it's, we could have framed it as that common knowledge that we all have a little bit more and then built from there, from a place of trust um, and begin to dig into maybe some of the more nuanced uh recommendations or information or some of the changing information but because we weren't treated as people that could handle that information people then become less receptive to your to your messaging uh, and your messaging begins to look increasingly um, wrong or uh, stupid in the face of then these nuances and changing um, scenarios it starts to look like you don't know what you're talking about. The next point, though, is is this is is about this the sources, right? And again, being honest with ourselves, looking back at how we took in information during the pandemic and how we internalized it and then communicated it to our peers, etc. Because this us and them sort of narratives that developed the either like pro or anti COVID, whatever, however you want to frame that. It's not like all communication that we were receiving was framed in that way, but we all internalized it in that way. Maybe not all of us, but again, I'm, I'm saying all when I'm talking about myself, you know, and trying to, again, be honest with how I reacted during this period. Um, and for example, you know, you can hear a lot of people in comments and, you know, clips online and stuff said, well, they said this, they said masks didn't work. They said, you know, this, that, or the other, right? And so who is that they? Who are we pinning all of these things on? Whether it's you know, the the scientific authorities, the sort of, you know, the, the academics, the public health agencies, or again, on the other side, well, they said that vaccines were created by Bill Gates to mind control you. Am I putting that opinion on a large group of people because one sort of loud voice that maybe is part, uh, that maybe 
pretends to represent a group said that? And then am I missing out on actual good opinions or questions or critiques or criticisms because a whole uh, side I've discredited based on the, f the, the, the sound bites of a few? Or am I perhaps not questioning enough um, because I'm taking the sound bites uh, of a few who pretend to represent uh, a side have told me that that's the way that it is. And then I think too that depending on the source of the information or this, you know, this collection of sound bites that may be tarnishing our view of a whole uh, group or person, maybe we're, if we go back to that source, the original source and hear, you know, exactly the information without the spin of another person, um, would it be fair for us to, to, to pin all of our emotions that we've, that this has drummed up in us, uh, the anger, the derision, the frustration, is it fair to put that on that person when maybe their words were used to, um, to convey uh, something completely different? And I think this one is important because even as I just talk about it now, I can see how it loops back to sort of the last point that I was making, where I was sort of criticizing the science community, a they, the science communication community, academics, for uh, maybe a lack of empathy or for, or for using this um, trust the science, I trust the science, I follow the science, when really am I thinking about um, maybe some celebrities that were out uh, with those slogans on social media or on shows or certain media sources that used that language. Um, and so then I'm not actually looking at the source of the information. I'm looking at a, a filter, an interpretation of that information that is then tarnishing my, my view of, of the actual source. But the point being, again, that we need to be careful about rushing to judgments on a clip or a narrative that is being portrayed, uh, again, based on probably some set of facts that is coming from science and then is being used to, uh, or is being in presented in a certain emotional way, this storytelling way. <clears throat> and so then maybe this is my actual criticism of the science community is to to understand when you are being portrayed in a certain way by a secondary source, someone who is taking your knowledge that you've created and then presenting it via the news or like using their celebrity platform, whatever, um, and maybe push back on that or lean into it if it's if you think it's appropriate, right? So this was another layer that I thought was really... Um, tricky and again something that we all did we all found ourselves saying well there they say this and so i either agree or disagree right uh, and not really considering how that they gets formed and in general i think again this is a a, a problem outside of the pandemic because we see it a lot i mean i'll pick on the us again especially us news where 
it's less news and it's more opinion. So you have facts and then you have a talking head delivering you a monologue about their interpretation of these facts or spin of the facts. And so I guess maybe this is what I'm honing in on because whether it's, you know, cable news in the U.S. or social media or podcasts, you, maybe I'm doing it right now. Be careful. Um, this is, I guess, the point that I'm trying to make when, when I'm talking about this they language. All right. So given all that, understanding that, you know, the, the, the primary information or the primary sources are going to be um, spun, misinterpreted, interpreted in a, in, a, in a certain way. How then does one decide what is the credible information and what is not the credible information? If it's not, if we have to go beyond these snippets of, well, they said this and they said that, where do you find that sort of information. And I think it's on all of us to try and remove emotion as much as possible, but that's sort of unlikely. Uh, but thinking about things like, well, how do I value expertise? Uh, and what is a consensus opinion? Um, because that was the other thing that was majorly highlighted was, you would have doctors, scientists, etc., coming out totally against the, the 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 consensus opinion on what should be done. Um, and in a lot of cases, I would say these people were doing so. I I think intentionally to sort of sell something, uh, or for popularity. I think in some cases they genuinely believed uh, that there was treatments or measures that we were taking that were harmful or ineffective or that there's certain treatments that could be that were being overlooked but it's important to understand you know the limits of expertise and this is why it was again the just follow the science slogan whatever doesn't work because well what is the science well who who is the arbiter of the science right? You have lots of people who are scientists and they have lots of different opinions on this stuff. So you've, you've sort of painted yourself into a box when you say, when you just say, well, just trust the science. Um, but as us, as audience members, it's important to then, when we talk about do your own research sort of thing, it's more about, for me, it's more, it's less about doing research into the actual nuts and bolts of the expert topic, how viruses work, how they don't work, but understanding who is a credible authority on this. Why are certain people, you know, viewed as, um, I, I don't want to use the word crazies, but sort of the outside the mainstream. And if they are outside the mainstream, is that justified? Have they proven to be unreliable or unstable in sources uh, or do they have a legit criticism of of the sort of consensus opinion um, because you need you need that right like you you do need that um, and there was things that came up over the course of the pandemic that that you could see where things did change and that change happened because of 
um, dissenting opinions. The use of ventilators, I think, was one. And again, I don't have a lot of the specifics on the on the argument, but people were using them a lot at the beginning. And then it was kind of viewed as, well, maybe this is actually doing more harm than good. And things shifted. So does that shift represent a nefarious cover-up or, you know, incompetence? No, I think it's just a normal thing that's going to happen when you're have when you're dealing with an emergency outright you're going to try different things and they're going to um you're going to learn information along the way and so then when ivermectin comes up is it legitimate to look at that and and see if it works yes it is and it was and it didn't work but then we have the sort of expert sources who are saying well it does work and we're being stifled and and this is you know big pharma you know trying to you take us down and etc etc and so it can i understand that it can be tough to tease all that out and we don't necessarily want to rely on character assassination and stuff but when looking for expert sources one metric of credibility i think is whether they have been disciplined by a medical board or their peers, uh, medical associations, etc. for <laughs> uh, things in the past uh, that, that does speak to motive and character when it comes to these issues, also financial incentives. Um, and, you know, that's a big criticism on the vaccine thing is that there's a financial incentive to, uh, to pushing vaccines. It's just one metric. Um, it, it doesn't make up your whole um, perspective. And a financial incentive isn't necessarily going to imply wrongdoing, right? Like we look at it as in pharma as, well, it's immediately bad, but someone that's making money selling, you know, their vitamin treatment of, well, that's just, they're just, you know, a, a, a hero trying to go against the big pharma. You know, it's... So it's a bit more complicated than that, but it's um, it's something to look at. And then also the other thing that I noticed during the pandemic was people really coming out of their lane. So you had a lot of folks from computer science or engineering or the tech sector, right, that all of a sudden had all this uh, opinion on genetics and genetic manipulation of of the virus and 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 all sorts of stuff and again dissenting opinion is not bad but we have to understand when it is valid and when it is not and there should be i think a pretty strong um filter that we apply as to when we're going to um go with the consensus or not some may disagree but I don't really know that, that there's a lot more to say on this because, like I said, I have more questions than, than answers. And moving forward, I think that we're at a point where regardless of who is right or wrong on things like should we have closed down schools, uh, were masks effective, was the was the virus uh, leaked from a lab? We're missing the point of being prepared for the next crisis, whether that's a pandemic or something else. Because from what I see, 
we didn't really learn the lessons or at least are again now i'm falling into my own trap of they aren't learning the lessons but the role of media as a way to communicate these important things to the public i don't think has learned the lesson because we seem still trapped in a who's right who's wrong um that's all that matters uh situation uh where it's it's more about winning the argument than understanding that whether it came from a lab or a market is useful information and will help us prevent the next pandemic but when the next pandemic ultimately comes we're still going to have to do the same things or deal with the same questions that we dealt with this time uh regarding a unified response from our society to this crisis and being stuck in a winner loser dynamic is not going to help is not going to be beneficial to anybody obviously humans are a very cooperative species arguably this is why we are quote unquote so successful as a species you could debate the the metrics of success but i'm saying our ability to populate live uh reproduce exploit resources all of these things that have sort of led us to the top position on the planet is from cooperation and we have this idea of this golden age of freedom and the freedom to do whatever i want and not be held down by authority but that doesn't really exist because we are always bound to live in a society a human isolated on his own is the most vulnerable and unhappy human there is so we have to understand how to work together and the limits of our sort of freedom which sounds really you know scary in a way but it's not it's 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 it is the human condition we don't operate in a vacuum we rely on one another and we have to have some sorts of constraints on our individual urges and behaviors in order for a society to function um but when we advertise our but when our institutions that are meant to act for the good of everyone are pitted in this winner loser way i think we lose sight of that and we start to view our responsibility as citizens to engage in cooperative living and um collective action in the face of dangers that that affect all of us um as infringements on this idea of absolute freedom or absolute liberty i think you have the freedom to think and live the way you want 
within society, but if you benefit from society, which yes, we all do, you have a responsibility as well to participate in society and participate in the rules of society. And that also means in the shaping of the rules of society, which comes back to this notion that if you are going to have a say on the rules of society, you really should have an understanding of how these things work, which then again brings us back to, well, how do we become informed on how these things work? And so I think that's where I have to end it um, because I don't know what else to say. And I'm moving forward with this idea of it's our responsibility to understand these upcoming topics uh, regarding science, AI, um, pandemics, uh, genetic manipulation, all of these things. And so we need credible sources and sources that we can trust. So how do we present this information in a way that speaks to people's fears, their worldviews, their ideas on these topics, while also providing the expertise that is needed to understand when a fear or worry about a, a, a topic is justified or unjustified. Because in many ways, we look at this as debunking people's fears, but there's actually a flip side to that where it is empowering the rational fear that is being overlooked. So it's a very complicated and interesting um, task, I think, that we're going to be faced with in the next decades at least probably for the rest of my lifetime and now my my child's lifetime. Um, maybe it's something that just it never ends um, and all humans deal with this. And we have a moment right now to sort of chart the next uh, path. Are we going to be overly um, combative and un uncooperative or will we find a way to um, work uh, on these problems uh, constructively? And so I began the episode by saying I was feeling a little um, pessimistic about some of this stuff, the futility of some of this stuff. But I guess on the on the on the back end of it, having laid out this, my thoughts on on these, I think that there actually is hope. I mean, there's always hope. I, I don't want to be super pessimistic. It's against my nature. I'm a very optimistic guy. Um, because by identifying where things may have gone wrong uh, and looking at, you know, the problems such as sources and, you know, lumping everyone together in these they boxes or not being compassionate or empathetic to uh, mistrust of authority, uh, it, I think it will start to provide new avenues for communication um, and maybe it will identify new audiences. Maybe we focus too much on the negative and the debunking, but there's a whole segment of the population that is yearning for uh, detailed uh, information about these topics and how they can start to learn about them, think about them, view them, because it, it really is 
up to us to determine how science is used. The research that produces knowledge does just that. What you do with that knowledge is up to all of us as a society. And as I have pointed out, and what I think is absolutely true, we are a society and we only survive and succeed as a society, as a collective. And so we're going to need to learn to make better decisions together about the types of things that are coming down the road. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening, for tuning in, for getting to the end of this. I really did find this exercise to be quite useful uh, for my own hopes and fears about the future. Uh, I hope it was equally useful for you. And as always, please rate, subscribe, review, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a follow on Instagram at 2 brad for you or X, Twitter, whatever it's called. Um, and you can check out the website, twobradforyou.wordpress.com. Find a way to get involved with the show. Leave us your comments. Leave us an email. All of that great stuff. Like I said, the best way to do that is usually Instagram, at 2 brad for you. Um, and until next time, stay safe out there. Take care of each other. Bye for now.